Once you found it, you can stand for the reading of God's Word. Proverbs chapter 6, we'll be looking again at verses 16 and 17 here. And then before you sit down, we're going to turn over to Proverbs chapter 12. But don't, uh, don't, uh, we'll go there in just a moment. Verse 16 says there, These six things doth the Lord hate, yea, seven are an abomination unto him. Here they are, a proud look, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood, and a heart that deviseth wicked imaginations, feet that be swift and running to mischief, a false witness that speaketh lies, and he that soweth discord among the brethren. Turn with me to Proverbs chapter 12, and let's look at verse number 22. There the Bible says, Lying lips are abomination to the Lord, but they that deal truly are His delight. We're going to look at our second sermon in the series of the sins on God's hate list, and tonight we're going to look at the idea of a lying tongue. A secondary title for the sermon could have been, There's Nothing Pretty About Lying. There's Nothing Pretty About Lying. Let's pray. God, I ask tonight that You'd help us as we look at this truth um, and we consider it. Lord, it's something that's obvious. Those of us that uh, have been raised in a Judeo-Christian atmosphere, environment, we know that lying is a sin. We've been told that since we were caught in our first lie. But Lord, it's something that if we're not careful can uh, can creep up. It's a weed that can grow up in our life and can uh, overtake us if we're not careful. So, Lord, I pray tonight you'd help us all to examine our heart on a deep, le- deep level and determine to love the truth and to hate lies, mistruth. Be with us this evening as we consider this truth. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. In Moody Monthly recently, George Sweeting writes about the desperate need for honesty in our culture. He refers to Dr. Madison Surratt, who taught mathematics at Vanderbilt University for many years. Before giving a test, the professor would admonish his class something like this. Today I am giving two examinations, one in trigonometry and the other in honesty. I hope you will pass them both. If you fail one, fail trigonometry. There are many good people in the world who can't pass trig, but there are no good people in the world who cannot pass the examination of honesty. Now, our society um, has come up with some politically correct ways of saying the idea of telling a lie. They have come up with uh, just a mountain of ways of saying, uh, of using the concept of telling a lie. And I, ju- I, ju- I jotted several of them down here. I've got bamboozled, hoodwinked, hornswoggled, uh, to tell a tale, pull the wool over one's eyes. Here's one. Being economical with the truth. Fudge. Color the truth. Uh, telling a story. Misrepresenting the truth. Telling a stretcher. Telling a stretcher. Massaging reality. Massaging reality. I wasn't lying. I was just massaging reality. Uh, telling a fib. Uh, having a mind filled with fantasy. And then there's this one. Telling a whopper. Telling a whopper. Um, all of that to say that a lie is a lie is a lie is a lie. And God does not like when we lie. Uh, I propose this evening that lying is a disease that can take over the heart of a Christian and it can take over quickly. 
lying is the enemy of the truth, and uh, and Christians are uh, and will rob Christians of that truth. If we allow lying to overtake our heart, we are allowing it to come in and take over the very idea of Christ, who is the epitome of truth. We're going to look at uh, five main thoughts about lying, and then we're going to look at four concluding remarks. So five thoughts, and then four concluding remarks. Let's let's jump right in tonight. First of all, notice lying's father. Lying's father. We're going to move, use our Bibles quite a bit tonight, so get your fingers ready. Don't close your Bible and set them to the side. Turn over with me to John chapter 8 and verse 44. John chapter 8 verse 44. And Jesus here is conversing with the Pharisees and He has some strong, strong words for uh, these uh, Pharisees about who they are, uh, who their father is, and what their father does. And uh, look, if you wanted to know why the Pharisees nailed Jesus to the cross, Look at verse 44. Do you need to know, go no further? If someone told you this that you already didn't like, you'd probably hate them, especially if you weren't a Christian. Look at verse 44. Jesus says to them, He says, Ye are of your father, the devil. That's pretty tough. He goes on. And the lusts of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and and the father of it. He is a liar and the father of it. Now, he calls Satan many things here and says these people are following their father, the devil. He says, uh, he talks about the lusts. Uh, he talks about how that Satan was a murderer. How is Satan a murderer? Listen, there was no such thing as death before Satan came on the scene. And Satan brought about uh, murder, uh, the, the death of mankind. Satan is brought about death and is the murderer of every person who has a date, who has received their date of death. Uh, he is a murderer of the eternal soul for all of those that he steals away into hell. Now, um, beyond that, we find, uh, turn over to Genesis chapter 3 with me. Hold your place in John 8. We're going to come back there at the very end of the sermon. Uh, Genesis chapter 3. And we're going to look at the very, very first sin ever committed on planet Earth. The very first sin ever committed on planet Earth. And it was the sin of lying. Now, not the first sin committed in the universe. That would be pride. We looked at that last week. But rather, on planet Earth, the first sin that is recorded is the sin of lying. Here we find in Genesis 3, Eve and Adam... Uh, they are have a perfect marriage. They uh, have perfect bodies. They are living in in utopia. They are living in paradise there in the Garden of Eden. And uh, Satan waits until Eve and Adam are are separated for some time, and they're not right next to each other. And uh, Satan possesses a serpent and slithers on up to Eve to be subtly subtle to subtly deceive her. Look at verse one there. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the tree of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die. That's a lie. There's where Satan became a murderer. When he convinced Eve to eat the fruit. Verse 5, For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, that your eyes shall be open, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And the woman saw that the tree was good for food, 
and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof, and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. Now, let's really quick look at this. Uh, Satan is labeled as the father of lying. Uh, he's the, he is a liar and the father of it, as John 8 described it. Let's look at his method here. By the way, this happened some 6,000 years ago. Satan's method is no different now than it was then. He does the same thing to you and I that he did to Eve. Look here. First thing he did is he questioned the truth. He questioned the truth. He put a question mark where God had placed a period. Yea, hath God said? Yes, God hath said. Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden? He is calling into question that which God emphatically stated. Do not eat of the fruit of the garden. And he's saying, uh, is that what's been proposed to you? Uh, there are plenty of people out there that want to take truth that is absolute. Let me just say tonight that truth is an absolute thing. There is such thing as absolute truth. Don't let these people say to you, well, you know, it's all just a matter of opinion and it's abstract and truth is abstract. Uh, is 2 plus 2 4? 2 plus 2 equals 4? You see the, the question there? No, 2 plus 2 equals it always has and it always will. And don't get into math theory with me because you'll blow my brain up, okay? Uh, 2 plus 2 equals 4. It is a ends with a period, not a question mark. And Satan is calling into question that which God has said. Uh, the truth is, Christian, that where you live and what you believe, if there is a gap there, that gap will not exist for very long. If you live below the standard of what you believe, either you're going to bring your lifestyle up to what you believe, or you're going to bring what you believe down to your lifestyle. There will not be a gap that stays for long. You're either going to justify your sin, or you're going to work to bring yourself back up to it. Now, you might fall back down, but you know that you need to get back up. And there's going to be a strong effort to get back up there. And if you don't justify it totally, you'll at least start making strong excuses for yourself. Why? Because Satan stepped in and he used question marks where God had placed periods. Um, are you sure you're not allowed to do that? Are you sure? Now, look here further. The father of lies, not only did he call into question, first he called into question that which God had said as truth, and the next thing he did is he told a blatant lie. Look there, uh, I believe it's, uh, yeah, verse 3. But the fruit of the uh, tree, which is in the midst of the garden, God said, you should not eat of it, uh, uh, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. Verse 4, blatant lie, and the serpent said unto the woman, ye shall not surely die. Lie. Guess where Eve is right now? She's dead. You know why? Because she ate the fruit. First he called into question, and then he flat out lied. Now, he's going to follow up the lie with a mixture of the lie and a truth. Look at verse 6. Or rather, verse 5. For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, that your eyes shall be open, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. When Satan, when, rather, when Adam and Eve ate the fruit, guess what? They knew the difference between good and evil. They knew the difference. He, he made that sin intriguing. He made that sin intriguing. So, he questioned the truth. He told a blatant lie against the truth, a mistruth. And then he mixed his lie, his mistruth, with truth in order to bait Eve into do it. And so, when you tell a lie, 
you are copying your father. You are copying your earthly father, rather, the devil. Now, if you're saved, he's no longer your father. But when you were born on this earth, now, now, now you were born in sin. You were born as a child of sin and uh, fallen in sin. And so, uh, be careful about lying. You are mimicking and imitating Satan himself. Number one, we see lying's father. Number two, we see lying forbidden. Lying forbidden. All right, let's uh, let's jump through the uh, uh, some verses here. Let's look at some verses. We'll go left to right in the scriptures. Let's begin in Exodus chapter twenty. Exodus chapter twenty and verse number sixteen. Find your way over there quickly. Exodus chapter twenty, verse number sixteen. Uh, here, uh, God is giving the Ten Commandments to Moses for the first time, and God Himself is etching these in stone with His finger. Now, uh, Moses will come down off the rock. You'll see the dancing and the and the partying and the lewdness and the the rock music or whatever it was, and he he'll smash these tablets. But nonetheless, the very first time God wrote with His own finger in the in the tablets, He gave us the Ten Commandments. And guess what? Uh, not lying made the Ten Commandments. Look at verse sixteen: Thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. Thou shalt not bear false witness. Don't lie. Don't lie. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 5 and verse 20, we find the second giving of the Ten Commandments. And there, the same thing. Neither shalt thou bear false witness against thy neighbor. Don't lie. Don't, don't give a mistruth. Don't, uh, don't, don't share something with someone that's not accurate. Turn over to Leviticus chapter 19 and verse 11. Leviticus 19 and verse 11. It says there, I'll begin reading, Ye shall not steal. By the way, that word ye means all of you. That's everyone. Ye shall not steal, neither deal falsely, neither lie one to another. Neither lie one to another. So, lying is forbidden. You're not to steal. You're not to deal falsely. You're not to take liberties with truth. You're not to uh, be uh, economical with the truth. You're not to massage reality. You're not to lie one to another. Uh, Colossians chapter 3 in the New Testament. Uh, let me read this for you. You don't have to turn to it. Listen closely to this verse. Colossians chapter 3 verse 9 says this, Lie not one to another, seeing that ye have put off the old man with his deeds. Let me read that again. Lie not one to another, seeing that ye have put off the old man with his deeds. So, before when you were lost, you, it was natural for you to lie, right? As natural it was for you to breathe air, it was that natural for you to breathe out lies. Now, uh, you were probably taught some, uh, uh, some, some principles in life and you were taught some standard of living, but there's a whole lot of lying. We'll get into this in the next point. There's a whole lot of lying that goes on that to the average person, probably even to many of you sitting in here, it's justified as it's okay within a certain situation. And no, the Bible's clear on this. We're not to lie ever. Ever. Now, uh, when you got saved, you put off the old man and you gained this now new life in Christ. And when you walk in the Spirit, guess what? Now you don't have to live lying one to another. Lying one to another. Lying is totally forbidden. Now, there are some instances in Scripture where somebody lies and the Bible does not condemn it. Alright, let me give you a couple examples. You might remember when Michael 
uh, lied about David. Remember, she made the 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 scarecrow basically in in the bed, the fake body in the bed, and 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 David snuck out the window. Saul was coming in to kill him, and because she lied, it, it helped save David's life. That's one instance. Another instance you think of about someone lying in the Bible, and the Bible not directly condemning it. Uh, uh, you you might remember. I just blinked on my my next story here. Rahab, that's it. Rahab the harlot. Thank you. Uh, Rahab hides the guys up on the roof, and because she lied, they didn't get him. And the, it's not condemned in Scripture. I'll just say this about those instances. First, the story of, of David and Michael. David sinned in the beginning of the story, which ended up putting Michael in a bad spot. Had David not sinned in the beginning of the story, Michael would not have needed to lie for him. You see, sin causes us to need to commit more sin in order to, to cover ourselves sometimes. The story with, uh, with Rahab uh, and uh, the, the spies, I'll say this, is that God was capable of protecting those spies without the help of Rahab's lie. Now, she did lie, and that helped them out, and uh, the outcome ended up good, but the end never justifies the means. The end never justifies the means. Uh, I, I was, um, years ago, I read the book, The Hiding Place, written by uh, Corey Tin Boone, and in the, in the book, and, and again, it's been years, so I don't have all the details right, but there was an elderly person that lived in their house, you might remember the premise there, that they were, uh, I believe, Polish Folks who were hiding Jews behind a fake wall. Uh, again, I don't have all the details just right, but I, the, the, the larger point I'm trying to make will be accurate. And uh, there was an elderly uh, parent, I believe, uh, maybe a, a grandparent parent that lived in the house. And uh, they lived by this premise that lying is always a sin no matter what. And sure enough, the German Nazis broke in and uh, they were inspecting the home and they had hidden people in behind the false wall. And, and uh, the, Corey said she was nervous that they were going to ask this particular person a direct question. And she knew if that happened, then the whole thing was over because that person would tell the truth and they would end up getting caught. And as the story goes, that time they did not ask that person a question and everything was safe. But uh, lying in, in all circumstances is forbidden. And you think, but if I tell the truth, there's going to be that's going to create a bigger mess than if I just tell a lie. It doesn't matter. The Bible says, ye shall not steal, neither deal falsely, neither lie one to another. Now, let's get into number three, lying's forms. Lying's forms. I know with, uh, to you grammar people, I'm taking liberties with the word lying there. Lying is a gerund, and I'm treating it like a noun, okay? But just, just uh, go along with this here. Lying's forms. Uh, uh, first of all, let's talk about white lies. White lies. I just told a little white lie. I just told a fib. Oh, pastor, what I lied about doesn't even really matter. Then why did you do it? Why did you do it? Let me just say tonight that the idea of a white lie cannot be found in the Bible. It just cannot be found in the Bible. It doesn't exist inside of Scripture. Um, any misrepresentation of the truth is deplorable in God's eyes. Deplorable. God does not want you telling a lie about anything. About anything. And listen, uh, the, some of the things that we lie about are so silly. Are so silly. Your wife asks you, uh, uh, did you spend any money today? And you stopped, and you got yourself a drink at the gas station. And you're nervous that if you tell her that, she might get on you. I'm just making this up, okay? And so you say to her, no, no, 
But at 10 o'clock, you had stopped and gotten that drink. Look, don't lie about that. It's not worth it. It's not worth it. Your boss asks you, uh, your boss walks in and says, what were you doing? And you were looking at Facebook. And you tucked your phone away right before he came in the room. Right before he walked into your cubicle. What were you doing? Oh, I was just working on that report. But pastor, I was kind of working on the report. It's a white lie. And white lies are just as bad as regular lies. Another form of, um, uh, of, uh, of lying is uh, half-truths. Half-truths. When uh, someone is going to be a witness in a testimony, they put their hand on a Bible. And until our Judeo-Christian nation moves further away from our roots and changes this, because I can see that happening at some point, they have that person put their hand on the Bible and they have that person say this, I swear to tell the truth, say it with me, the whole truth and nothing but the truth, so help me God. Um, the whole truth. The whole truth. Years ago, Angel and I, um, Pastor King talked about this when he was here, but years, years ago, Angel and I were in a car accident. And that was when Pastor and Janet took Matthew, he was just a little baby, and, and he was a nursing child, and that, he was in bad shape. But Angel was in worse shape, so they put her in an ambulance and took her on out. And the guy that ran in the back of us was drunk as all get out. I could smell the alcohol in his breath. Uh, he was driving a really nice pickup truck, and, and uh, he smashed in the back of our, our car and just totally destroyed the back of our car. Angel was in the back seat next to Matthew, and uh, uh, just... New mom, new baby back there with, with the child, and Angela's got serious whiplash out of it, and, and so, uh, the, uh, the, he, the officer came, and the, the gentleman refused to take the sobriety test, and, uh, uh, which was smart on his part from a court standpoint, and, uh, the, he, he even told the officer and I both standing there, I have been drinking a little. I have been drinking a little. Well, that, that, that later on we went to court. And the guy paid for a high-end lawyer. And I, my guess is, and, and this is speculation on my part, but my guess is that lawyer and the judge probably were golf buddies. Because what happened in that court was a total mockery of our court system. Uh, they, uh, they kept the police officer and I out of the courtroom and they called us in one at a time as the witnesses. And the lawyer, uh, he asked me questions. They're experts at this. He asked me questions in a way where he drew facts out of me, but he did not draw the whole story out of me. He drew the facts out of me that would assist his client in getting off. And he worded his questions in such a way where I could not say much else uh, comfortably, and I was not able to tell the whole truth. Now, if you're a mom in here, or you've worked with children in here, uh, uh, you have used this phrase, a half-truth is what? It's a whole lie, right? A half-truth is a whole lie. You presenting just a portion of the facts. You say, but I didn't lie. I didn't lie. Everything I said was factual. Did that person walk away believing something different than the actual truth? That half-truth is a whole lie. It's a whole lie. Uh, let me give you another one here. Deceptions. Deceptions. This comes when we present the facts in a way that aren't totally inaccurate, but misleads the listener to believe a mistruth. 
Turn over to Proverbs chapter 24 with me, if you will. Proverbs chapter 24. There's a whole lot of verses in the Bible about deception, uh, being deceitful. Uh, uh, Satan is called a deceitful in Scripture in a few places. Uh, and so it's a neat Bible study to do just to understand that, look, being deceiving, you can be deceptive without actually coming out and telling a full-blown lie. But God uh, uh, covers this one for us as well. Proverbs chapter 24, look at verse 28. It says there, "...be not a witness against thy neighbor without cause." And deceive not with thy lips. Deceive not with thy lips. You're not to be deceptive. Second uh, Timothy chapter three verse thirteen says this: But evil men and seducers, seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. Both deceiving and being deceived. I have met people in my life that uh, actually have begun to believe their own lies. Ever met anybody like that? They lie about everything. Everything. I've met Christians that way. They lie about, I should reword that. I've met saved people that way, or people who claim to be saved that way. Um, they, they have lied so much to themselves that they actually have begun to believe their own lies. And what they have done is they have deceived themselves, and now they're experts at deceiving Others, deceiving others. Let me give you one more tonight. Before I, before I give you this next one. Good, good job. He, he, he didn't jump on that. Uh, before I give you this next one, uh, let me just say a word about situational ethics here. And this is where I think a lot of Christians get tripped up. Is, uh, but pastor, listen, uh, I was put in a really bad spot and I had to lie because if I didn't lie, the outcome would have been ugly. Ugly. Um, situational ethics is wrong. Is wrong. Look, your integrity is at stake. And you might get, I don't want to steal too much of my thunder, I'm going to say more about this in the conclusion. You might get short-term relief, but long-term you're killing your integrity. Situational ethics isn't right. You're better off just telling the truth. Alright, one more here, and I've got a story for you. This next one is silence. Silence. Do you know that by saying nothing, you can lie? Let me tell you a story. When I was uh, 13 years old, we, um, we packed up our house on Brook Lane Street in Hattiesburg, and we moved to Bethel Road in Hartsell, Alabama. And uh, the house we lived in, uh, when you're, you know, when you're like this tall, houses look huge. I went back uh, as an adult, and I couldn't believe how little that house looked. When I was a kid, it was, it was the biggest house in the world. Um, I remember my brother Tim at the time was probably about 10, and my little brother James, James preached here on a Wednesday night, he's the one that's now it's like six foot six. Uh, I think at the time he was about four or five, and um, uh, we were all packing things up. That Sunday prior to us leaving at church, I had received a bouncing ball in my Sunday school class, one of those little super balls. And uh, some kid in the, in the hallway at church had taught me that if you stand in the hallway and you sling that thing real hard off the wall, you can get it to hit off the wall four or five times or it hits the ground. And I just thought that was the coolest 
thing in the world. And so uh, I had gotten that bouncing ball, and the three of us, uh, uh, myself and then Tim, Timmy, we called him at the time, and James, uh, we all shared a bedroom. And so there were, it was a small room, there were two bunk beds in there, and underneath the top bunk there was a toy box, and it was basically like an L. You walked in, and there were dressers along the wall, and you turned left, and there was just a little bit of space in there. And so that room felt really small, but you know when you move and you take all the furniture out, now the room looks huge. And so I had my bouncing ball, and the room was empty. It had been loaded in the moving truck, and I thought, this is great. I got an empty room to play with my bouncing ball. So Tim and Timmy and James and I, we went in the room, and the door was open. We're just slinging that thing around the room. We're having a great time. And, you know, windows today, they're tempered. Uh, they're hard to break. Uh, but back then, there were these little single pane, you know, the, 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 it runs down like this, and it runs down like this, and across like this, and across like this. And you got the one, two, three, you got the nine panes in there. We had a window like that in our room. The old rickety. If you picked up the window and you dropped it and your fingers were underneath, it would guillotine your fingers. You know what I'm talking about? You all remember windows like that? And so it was one of those windows. The panes were really, really thin. We'd probably broken them out several times being boys. And my dad was broke. We were broke at the time. So he had put the cheapest type of glass he could in there. And my dad comes walking in the room. And I mean, he's working up a sweat with loading the truck and all that. And he says to me, he, he says to us, he says, boys, quit throwing the ball around. The last thing I need to do is fix a window right before we move tomorrow. And uh, I got to tell you, the re- rebellion in my heart, I did not want to put the ball away. So I picked up the ball with a bad attitude and I stuck it in my pocket and I walked out of the room and I waited for my brothers to go on about their way and I went back in the bedroom and I closed the door by myself and I started slinging that ball around the room out of pure rebellion. You say, Pastor, don't give me your pious. You could, we could tell stories about you too. And wouldn't you know it, about three minutes later, that ball went through the lower left hand uh, of the nine, the lower left uh, uh, window pane there, and shattered that glass. I mean, just shattered it. And um, the back of my leg started to tense, and my heart started to race. Because I knew my sin was going to find me out. And so uh, I devised a plan. Every child that's been in this spot has done something similar. I went outside, and I collected the glass, and I walked over to my neighbor's house, and I put the glass in their trash can. I was a smart guy. And, um, and I closed the door to our empty bedroom, and I hoped that no one would go back in there. About an hour later, one of my goofy brothers opened the door, and my dad walked by the room, and he saw the broken window. And my father says, Richard, Timmy, James, you get in here right now. And so we come running in there. We're lined up like soldiers. Boop, boop, boop. And my dad's walking, pacing the floor in front of his hands behind his back like a drill instructor. And he says, who broke the window? I told you not to play with that ball in here. Who broke the window? And I said nothing. I stood there. I knew that there were no cameras set up in my room. And I knew no human being had seen me. And I knew that if I could just hold tight, that my father would not be able to punish me. And so he's marching up and down. I mean, he's using every scare tactic in the book. He even waterboarded us. That's not true. Um, And he says, you better tell me who broke that window right now. When I find out who broke that window, I'm going to wear your backside out so hard, you won't be able to sit down for a week. And my little four or five-year-old brother James, he breaks out in tears. And I'm thinking, I'm catching a break here. (laughs) This is great. (laughs) 
he's going to fess up to something he didn't do. And hold it together, Richard. Hold it together. And so I'm standing there, and my dad gets in James's face. Did you break that window? And James says, I'm so sorry. James took my spanking that day. Let me ask you a question. By the way, you want to know if I have confessed that to my parents. Um, the Christmas break of my freshman year of college, <laughs> I came clean. <laughs> Too late for them to do anything about it at that point. Um, it makes for a great sermon illustration, amen? Let me ask you a question tonight. Did I lie? I lied without even opening my mouth. Without even opening my mouth. You can lie in your silence. Lying is a sin. Lying is deplorable. Lying is abominable to God. Now we laugh at the story. It's a funny story. But God was not laughing that day. God is not laughing tonight at my sin. He hates when we lie. A white lie. A half-truth. A deception. Silence. Lying's forms. Number four, we see lying's fate. Lying's fate. What happens to those that lie? Will you turn over to Psalm 101, verse number 7? While you're finding your way over to Psalm 101... Let me first share with you what happens to the lost. Uh, Revelation chapter 21 verse 8 says, But the fearful and unbelieving and the abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters, Woo! That's a rough crowd. Unbelieving. Abominable. Murderers. People who take lives. Whoremongers. People who deal with ridiculously disgusting sexual sins. Sorcerers, those that are on drugs and deal drugs. Idolaters, those that bow themselves down to an idol. That's a rough crowd. But then God throws in their liars. And all liars. Listen, this is how bad lying is. He puts it in the same camp with looking at pornography. He puts it in the same camp with running around on your wife. He puts it in the same camp with being strung out on drugs or dealing drugs to people. He puts it in the same camp as taking people's lives. Here's what he says. It says that this group of people shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Those that are the children of their father, the devil, uh, who is the father of all lies, God is going to take those lost folks that do not repent from their lying ways and He's going to cast them in hell. That is the fate of the lying uh, of those that are lost. But how about for the saved? Have you been saved? Uh, like we said earlier in, in the uh, service is that you're, you're, God will not look at your sin. Your sins have been blotted out. Every lie that you've ever told on the eternal scale will be blotted out. That is in terms of your eternal debt with God and you being part of the unblemished bride of Christ in heaven. But as you walk on earth, my friend, God knows when you lie. And God, that hurts your relationship in heaven. Look at verse 7 of Psalm 101. He that worketh deceit shall not dwell within my house. He that telleth lies shall not tarry in my sight. Shall not tarry in my sight. Now, that does not mean that you won't go to church. But what that does mean is that God is going to distance Himself from you. We talked about last week how that God knoweth the proud afar off. Remember that? He knows them but at a distance. It's the same thing when you lie. 
Um, something that's abominable is something that is ejected. It is something that is pushed away. It is something that is distanced from. And if you want to be proud, God's going to distance Himself from you. If you want to be one who has a lying tongue, God is going to distance Himself from you. Lying's fate. Listen, I've got to say tonight that the last thing I want to do is try to fight my way through life without the help of my Savior. I don't want to do that. And I don't think you want to do that either. And every time that we tell a lie, we're taking a step away from God. And another step away from God. And another step away from God. And God is taking another step away from us. He's saying, I don't have anything to do with you. You're going to walk, not walk in truth. You're going to lie. Then the, in essence, what I'm going to do is I'm not going to allow you to dwell within my house. You won't be able to come in my presence and uh, you will not be able to tarry in my sight. Lying's fate. Could it be that those unconfessed lies that you've been telling have been keeping your prayers from making it to heaven. Say, but pastor, listen, I, I, I stretched the truth a little bit. I exaggerated some facts. And by the way, exaggerating facts is a lie as well. I should have gotten that one on the list there. But that's, that's a lie as well. Why do we exaggerate things? Because we want to make ourselves look better. We want to make the story more dramatic than it is. And we, we, we want to make uh, ourselves either look more like a victim than we really are, or we want to make ourselves more of a hero than we really are. The independent Baptist world in the 80s and 90s, and, and probably even still today on some level, was plagued with preachers who would make themselves the hero of every sermon they preached, and plagued with preachers who stretched the facts of their stories, made, made it bigger and more dramatic. And I gotta say that God looked down on those sermons and He shook His head and He was very disappointed in that type of preaching. Exaggerating, exaggerating. And God says if you're saved, and you want to be deceitful, you want to lie, you want to, uh, you want to tell a half-truth, you, you want to keep your silence when you're asked to speak up and admit something, God says I'm gonna distance myself from you. Number five, and this will launch us into the concluding thoughts. Notice lying's foe. Lying's foe. Look back at John chapter 8. I'll have you hold your place there. Go back to it. John chapter 8, verse 44. The Bible says there, Ye are of your father the devil, and the lusts of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning. Look at this next phrase. And abode not in the truth. Abode not in the truth. Because there is no truth in him. What is lying's foe? It's truth. He, when he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. Now, the, the, the antithesis the the opposed opposite of, um, of of a lie is the truth. Okay. Now let me say this really quick. Uh, there is no such thing as cold. You all understand this. There is no such thing as cold. Cold is the absence of heat. Right. So you have you have heat, and then as you begin to take heat away, cold is felt. How many of you in here tonight are cold? Anybody in the auditorium cold? I don't need to know about your heart being cold. Don't raise your hand. No, I'm just teasing you. Um, 
You say, Pastor, why do we have to keep it so cold in the auditorium? How many of you feel that way? The dead middle of the summer, you ladies are bringing a jacket into church. It's 100 degrees outside, and you're wearing a, wearing a shawl or a jacket in church. The reason is because us men got to wear these lengthy, goofy suit jackets, and your preacher's up here preaching up a storm and getting warm. And so, it, listen, do you love your preacher? You love your preacher, you say, I love myself more. Then come down here at the altar and get your heart right. Amen. Um, cold is the absence of heat. Uh, darkness is the absence of light. As you begin to remove light, you find darkness. There is really no such thing as darkness. Darkness is just the absence of light. Darkness is perceived. Light is real. Cold is perceived. Heat is real. Lying, lying is the absence or the removal of the truth. As we begin to remove the truth from a situation, just like we remove light and get a shadow, or we get darkness, we remove the truth and what we come down to is a lie. If someone is telling a lie, they are refusing to give the truth and the whole truth and nothing but the truth. What is lying's foe? Well, it's the truth. Let me give you quickly four concluding thoughts here. Jot these down if you're taking notes. First of all, note this. Choosing truth is choosing Christ. Choosing truth is choosing Christ. Turn over to John chapter 17 with me. John chapter 17 and verse 17. You say, Pastor, I, uh, I am just covered in a life of lies. God has brought lies to my mind that I've told. And look, uh, it is possible that uh, you lie subconsciously and you don't even realize you're doing it. Now, i got to say that if that's where you're at, start paying attention this week and work to correct the problem. Look at John chapter 17, verse 17. It says, Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. Thy word is truth. What is truth? Right here. Thy word is truth. Thy word is truth. All right? Uh, John chapter 14. Turn back a couple chapters. John chapter 14 and verse number 6. A verse most of us have committed to memory, but we put a lot of emphasis on the first thing Jesus said he was, but a lot of, a lot of times we ignore the next two. Jesus saith unto him, that's Thomas, I am the way, notice this, the truth. I am the truth and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Jesus was saying to, to, uh, to, to Thomas here and the other disciples, I am truth. So when you choose truth, in essence, you're choosing Christ. But you know the opposite is true. When you choose to lie, you're pushing away Christ and you're choosing the devil. Choosing the devil. Third John, verse 3 says this, For I rejoice greatly uh, when the brethren came and testified of that truth that is in thee, even as thou walkest in the truth. Thou walkest in the truth. So, uh, here we go that uh, walking in truth is a lifestyle. Just like walking in lies is a lifestyle. Uh, let me give you my second concluding thought here. Lying brings about short-term relief, but long-term destruction. Lying brings about short-term relief, but long-term destruction. Let me go ahead and put number three up, and I'll talk about these together. Honesty may bring short-term pain, but long-term success. You wake back there, two and three there. Uh, 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 again, uh, Lying brings about short-term relief, but long-term destruction. There's number two. Leave that one up there for a minute. Let me talk about that. Proverbs chapter 23, verse 23 starts this way. Buy the truth and sell it not. Buy the truth. Now, I've got to tell you, I did some mental gymnastics this week 
thinking about that verse. And the word for buy in the Hebrew is translated other times as get, go get the truth. But I like the choice of the word buy there that our English translators chose. I love that word because it has the idea that truth has a price tag. Telling the truth will cost at times. But let me tell you this this evening, that telling a lie costs as well. You've got to decide which price tag you want to pay. Now, let's look at that up there. Lying, let's read it out loud together. Lying brings about short-term relief, but long-term destruction. You're put in a spot where if you tell the truth, it's going to hurt you. It's going to hurt you. Now, um, uh, let's use the example of a child. Child steals money out of their parents' purse or wallet and has been doing this carefully for a while and finally the parents catch on. The parent goes to the child and says, Have you been stealing money from my wallet or my purse? And that child now is going to decide, Do I want to pay the price up front or do I want to pay the price later? Later. What's the price paid later? Let's say that the child says to himself inwardly in a self-preservation mode, which is what lying is, usually self-preservation mode, I think I'm going to stop stealing right now and never steal again. I'm going to lie about it uh, because they don't have any hard proof. And then what I'm going to do is I'm going to uh, make sure that I dot my I's, cross my T's, and I mind my P's and Q's. Okay? So the child says to mom and dad, No. I didn't take any money. I don't know anything about it. And the parents can't prove it. I remember the first time I was a little kid and I told a lie and I got away with it. You know what happened that night? I laid in bed and I couldn't sleep. Couldn't sleep. My conscience was eating me alive. Eating me alive. You know what happened the next time I told a lie and I got away with it? My conscience bothered me a little bit less. And then a little bit less. And a little bit less. Now, I have the Holy Spirit that thumps me inside. But you know, you can get used to that thumping inside. Yeah, I know, I know, I know, I know. Listen up. Here's the point I'm making. It won't cost you up front to tell a lie. But you know what happens to your integrity? It drops a little each time you lie and get away with it. The lower your integrity is in life the less you're able to accomplish in life and for the Lord. Number three, notice there. Throw that up for me there, Brother Matt. Number three, honesty may bring short-term pain, but will bring long-term success. That same child in that same scenario looks at his parents and says, Yes, yes, I have been stealing money from your wallet. Right? What did George Washington? Was it George Washington chopped down the cherry tree? I always get my presents mixed up on that. Was it Abe or, was it Abe or George? It was George, okay. George Washington, I cannot tell a lie, I cut down the tree, right? I cannot tell a lie, I, I stole money from your wallet or from your purse. Now that child might face some consequences right there, but you know what that child maintains? Maintains that integrity intact. To all the children in here tonight, listen up to me, teenagers, children. Prisons are filled with liars. People get fired because they're liars. People get divorced 
Because they're liars. And you know where the lying began? When they were your age. And they did not get a handle on it, and it took them over, and they didn't know how to break away from it. You may end up getting into some trouble, but you tell the truth. You tell the truth. It's going to cost you something up front. But in the long term, oh my, you're setting yourself up for a life of success. Life of success. Some of you here tonight, your, your spouse might question you on something that you've done, and maybe it's minor, and you, in your mind, you, you go into self-preservation mode, and you lie. I would rather, I would, and look, I've I, I got to tell you, there have been times where my wife has questioned me on something I've done, and I've wanted to lie to her. I've got to say, thankfully, at this point in my marriage, I have not done that. I have told her the truth. Has it ever caused the apple cart to be tipped in our marriage? Yep. Yep. But you know what? My wife knows that I tell her the truth. That faithfulness, that trust is kept intact. Oh, it is so important. Concluding thought number four, use the spotlight of truth and chase away the shadows of lying out of your heart. What is the spotlight of truth? It's the Word of God. Sanctify them, John 17, 17 again. Sanctify them by Thy truth. Thy Word is truth. You say, Pastor, I have allowed lying to overtake me. I, I am deceptive. I am an exaggerator. I, I do struggle with some various areas with that. And, uh, and, and, and Pastor, I, what do I do about it? You know what you do? You become more, you let the Word of God become more of the part of your heart. You begin to read it and understand it. I'll finish with this. Parents, in your disciplining of your children, adults, if you have a class here at the church and you're working with children, look, we're not teaching children to do right for right's sake. Hear me on this. Teaching a child to do right because it's right to do right, you're turning them into a moralist. But you're not turning them into someone that fears God. The truth is, one day Matthew and April will, will turn 18 or 21 or however old it will be, and, and most likely they'll leave my home. And you know what? They won't answer to me anymore. But if I have taught them to have a relationship with Jesus Christ, then that spotlight of truth continues to shine down in their heart and can continue to keep them from living a life filled with lies and deceit. Some of you here tonight are adults and you're struggling with lying. What do you do? You get more into the Bible. You begin to read it and understand it. And the more you saturate your heart in truth, lying will leave as it is replaced by truth. The question to you tonight is this. Have you been making excuses for your lying? Let's give that up. Let's be people. Let's be children. As John, as, as, uh, as John's letter said, that walk in truth. Let's have our heads bowed and eyes closed this evening.